Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything, the podcast that goes in-depth with the creators of music and art in Ireland. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and today's guests on the show are really, really interesting people. They all, they always are, aren't they? Uh, Peter Power and Sarah Baum. They're some of the people behind In Clouds, which is doing a couple of showings, premiering at Cork Midsummer Festival, which runs from June 15th to 24. And In Clouds has a few showings from previews on the 14th of June, 15th, 16th and 17th of June's with showings at 7.30pm from the 15th to the 17th of June and 10.30pm showings from the 14th to the 16th. Hope that makes sense to everyone out there. I hope you're taking notes, but you can also check it out online. Of course, it's a really, really good Cork Midsummer Festival uh, this year. Just before I, I explain what In Clouds is and the people behind it and what you can expect over the next 35 minute interview. Uh, Cork Midsummer Festival kind of suffered as much as all other arts festivals did during the recession. Uh, I don't know how close it was to ceasing. But it certainly seemed like it was going to fall like very much victim to uh, the economic times that were. But it's back and kind of stronger than ever now. You know, a nine or ten day program before it it was kind of just two weekends. Um, but now it's back and it's got it's got a really, really strong uh, program, including Louise O'Neill's asking for getting its world premiere at the Cork Everyman. I'm really looking forward to seeing that, but I'm also... And there's lots of music in there as well. Hauschka, Camille O'Sullivan. Um, yeah, just look through the program and you'll find stuff. I'm also involved in uh, Crosstown Drift for the second year in a row, the third of Crosstown Drift. That's taking place on June 23rd, this kind of a free walking tour. In the morning, there's a mystery bus ride in the afternoon. And then in the evening, it's a night in the gallery. There's loads of really great Irish uh, writers who are going to be there, including Dira Nigrifa, who's like the best writer in Ireland at the moment, probably. Um, one of the most important as well. Danny Denton, who released a really great book and who you heard on the Point of Everything podcast uh, earlier in the year. And Pat McCabe, author of The Butcher Boy. Uh, yeah, so check that out. Check out a lot more at Cork Midsummer, And let's make sure that it continues to be this really, really great strong force in uh, the Cork, like, artistic world. In clouds, then. It's, yeah, it's, it's a really hard thing to kind of wrap your head around. I'm not 100% sure if the guys, Sarah and Peter, who we talked to, have fully wrap their head around it and it sounds like they almost don't want the audience to wrap their heads around it fully they want to create something a little bit different so I'll just um I'll just read from the press release just so that you kind of get an idea of what to expect led by director and co-composer Peter Power in cloud sees an award-winning group of artists come together to create a unique site-specific piece in Triscoll Christchurch the new immersive musical experience invites the audience alongside the artists to examine the human struggle to encompass and understand scientific theory, natural phenomena and human behaviour. Especially commissioned by the Triscoll and Cork Midsummer to celebrate 40 years of Triscoll. In Clouds blends original composition by Peter Power and co-composer Michael Gallant, text by novelist Sarah Baum, uh, choral experimentation by the contemporary ensemble Tonta, led by Robbie Blake, choreography slash dance by Stephanie Dufresne, and an 
AV Installation by Sarah Jane Shields and David Mahuna. In Clouds ventures off course into a new musical world, creating an immersive experience which asks us to find comfort in a world of unknowns where we can abandon the notions of the clock for the cloud. Sounds really, really great. And I loved hearing uh, Peter and Sarah uh, discuss it and discuss the ideas of art and the struggles behind it and the struggles uh, of trying to meld different worlds, science and uh, music together text and science together uh yeah peter is a composer director and sound designer from waterford who's based in cork he's done lots and lots of different things he's been uh involved in uh recent work such as the same by enda walsh and kirkadurka flux by eat my noise of which he is a part it's he's um co-owner of the company and yeah he's and eat my noise have been involved in cork midsummer for a good few years now he was also involved in override by steph uh stacy greg prodigig which was one of the big shows at cork midsummer last year the revolution neon western loads and loads of stuff he's currently artist in residence at the national sculpture factory sarah baum meanwhile is one of my favorite writers she's uh living in west cork so obviously that kind of you know puts her right up there near my favorites <laughs> straight away uh she's the author of spill simmer falter with her which is one of the best books released uh, in ireland by trump press of course uh this decade won loads and loads and loads of award and she released an amazing second novel called a line made by walking which was shortlisted for the goldsmiths prize last year i loved it i think anyone who's interested in art will or in the idea of art not like visual or creative art uh, i think anyone making music anyone who has tried to be creative will uh, really enjoy and get something out of a line made by walking so yeah we sat outside the triskel on a really hot day so there's a little bit of background noise because look i don't know if you're listening to this weather that hot weather lasted at the start of june but we were we were going to make the most of it because they had been rehearsing inside in the tdc in triskel uh so i was like uh I, I can't just talk to them in here they need they need to get out and see the sun while they can before they get back to rehearsals i spoke to them about a week eight days no seven days so i guess before the preview show uh of in clouds opened and audiences got to experience it so by the time you're listening to this, it's either the day of the show, the day before maybe, or you're listening to it afterwards. But it sounds like they have plans to keep In Clouds going. Hopefully uh, you'll see it somewhere. There might even be an exhibition. Sarah's text, which she will talk about. You don't need me to explain that. Uh, will hopefully be shared at some point as well. So here's uh, Peter and Sarah and myself sitting outside in a very sunny uh, courtyard at the Triscoll talking about in clouds at Cork Midsummer Festival. Hope you enjoy the chat. So we're a week out from rehearsals. So like, how how are you feeling now, uh, uh, Peter? I'll go to you first. Yeah. I'm I'm good. Uh, it's been it's been intense. Um, the team are doing really well. The energy is really good. Um, there's been a lot of positive energy. I'm not really one to use those kind of terms, but there's been a lot of positive energy. Which you have to kind of guard in a project like this that could very easily come apart. You know, it's got a lot of, uh, I don't like to say competing forces, but certainly uh, elements that could survive on their own without the other aspects. 
and so your responsibility like artistically is to look after those but then to look after the people that are creating those things which is kind of I think your like your kind of um, the energy that's how you that's what the structure in terms of rehearsals what you put into it is to try and consider everyone make sure everyone feels that they've been considered uh, and as a result we put a lot of time into that and it seems like it's going quite well everyone seems relatively calm um, I mean there's For going now. to yeah co of course there's going to be like a catastrophe every day that's just the nature of this industry um, there's already been catastrophes I say it's calm because I'm working with an incredible producer Maura O'Keefe who is basically keeping all of the stress away from me, which is just the most amazing part of when you work with someone of her ability, that I basically don't get told things until I absolutely have to be told them. Um, and so that's been really, I, I mean, I owe her a lot for the, the sense of uh, focus we've all had, is that I've been allowed to focus on the, the, the work, I suppose, rather than the wraparound, um, which, is, which is, I think, I'm very lucky to have someone who's, who's, who's willing to do that because a director generally would have a lot more involvement in the practicalities. But because I'm also performing and writing and stuff, it's, I've needed to kind of compartmentalise, well, not compartmentalise really, but I've, I've needed to turn my attentions mo more to rehearsals than it have been to, say, the production concerns or the budget concerns, which are huge <laughs> budget concerns. Is, is this, like, the most um, expansive, most, um, like the biggest thing that you've worked on to date? Has it all kind of been leading towards this? I mean, technically it isn't, no. Um, the biggest two or three things I would have done would have probably been, probably been Prodigig in the Opera House. And uh, I did a show in the Triscoll three years ago called Carne, which was with an eight-piece band and an eight-piece choir and a 65 to 70-piece orchestra. So I've done on scale bigger things um, than this. But I don't think I've... But that was part of my company, Eat My Noise. Um, well, Prodigy wasn't, but Carne was. Um, but I would argue this is the most... I think it's the most It's the most personally uh, involved I've been in a thing, for sure. I, I definitely... It has more, taken over my life more than anything I've ever done before. Because I'm so nervous about it, and it's such a weird idea. So you kind of... You feel like you're putting a lot on the line. Because there's no real metric for this. I haven't... I don't really know... We kind of discovered it together, no, well, right? The, the idea yeah. for it really was for you taking from your other productions and trying to do something in a completely different way mm -hmm. from the very beginning with the process. Yeah. Um, wasn't like, I don't know how these things normally fit together. Um, but like my understanding was that bringing everyone in at the very beginning when you didn't even really know what it was, yeah. um, was, was a new way of it doing it. It was certainly things. a new way of doing it. Yeah. Were, were you there from the very start? Sarah? I was like, I was the ghost, um, <laughs> which in retrospect, I think was really, um, really useful. So like way back, it was January, it was kind of the middle of January. Yeah. And there were two days of meetings, so maybe about 12 hours in all, mm -hmm. um, in Dublin. And that was like, everyone, it was, it was, you better, Stephanie, David. So we had Stephanie, production. the choreographer that was there. We had Sarah Jane, uh, who's the lighting designer. We had Michael, who Michael, who's inside, Michael Gallen, the other performer and co-composer. We had David Mahuna, who's in the visuals. We had Robert Grant, who's an assistant lecturer in philosophy in uh, Trinity. Um, we had, uh, oh God, who else did we have in the room? I know I'm forgetting someone. That's <laughs> awful. Emer was there for a little bit. Um, Oh my God, I bet you it's... Uh, Robbie Blake, of course, Jesus, he was there. Um, and uh, we just took this concept document that I had made and we just went at it together. And Sarah couldn't be there. 
So we ended up recording, we had to like ask for permission to record all of it. And then we emailed the conversations to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And as a result of not being there, which I was kind of like, oh no, I'm like, I'm at a, I, I'm at a, you know, at, at a disadvantage here. And I like listened to them all through and through, Way which of course no one, yeah, no one else did because you're just in a room and you have a conversation and then you move on to the next thing. Like everyone's busy. Um, whereas I just had like these 12 hours of, of in clouds um, that I listened to, um, uh, that I listened to at home and then between that and the concept document which was this like I'm not exaggerating a 30 page document um, <laughs> that had diagrams on it like explanations of scientific terms um, it had quite a lot of visuals so I guess it wasn't 30 mm-hmm. pages of text um, and sort of explanations of scientific theories sort of quoting from Descartes yeah. to um, Cartesian meanderings yeah it was like it, it, I, I was honestly nearly ran for my life as soon as I saw the thing <laughs> were, were you fully on board then though <laughs> no 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 you, you were like being convinced running for my life but I just kept thinking like if this is and it like all the way through it was a really challenging process and that's what was interesting everyone going through was to this big massive um, shared folder was contributing music before it was fully finished um, dance moves before they were f- fully finished and I was contributing texts before they were fully finished and that was you know really difficult and embarrassing in one yeah, way. Yeah it's very vulnerable everyone had to like I mean you were putting things up you knew weren't done and you were just trusting that the the community that we tried to create would be open to that process you know and it was so yeah you would get videos of a half form dance piece or you were you would send in like a text and you'd be like it's just a draft and we'd be put, we'd be putting up music on i can't believe i'm actually sharing this but we kept we stuck to the principle that it was really important that we allowed that happen so that we found as much as the concept led the production quite i suppose strictly at times and very loosely at other times the thing that really brought it all together was that sort of trust in everyone just kind of making mistakes with each other and going oh that's gorgeous or that's not and and then and the strange synergy like i was so interested to see how you know thinking that i work in a particular way that this is how a writer works or whatever but to see how Steph in particular how much the process of a dancer was like the process of a writer Mm -hmm. um, you know which I never would have expected never even thought about dance and what you can learn from that like you were working in phrases um, and I hadn't heard that term used in the sense of of a phrase of dance you know in the end the text ended up being in phrases um, but phrases in the dance sense and not in the literature sense Um, and then she went, uh, Stephanie went and took the phrases out of your phrases and then created her own sign language for the show, which basically speaks huge. So all the movement, I, I've seen her talk her way through the show. It's really weird. She has whole chunks of the text memorized in physical form. And so when she's dancing, she's actually speaking paragraphs of the text and she can do it, ask her to do it. It's bizarre. And it's like, so you actually realize that there's this really strange invented like language that's going on so it is rich with meaning even though you couldn't possibly know it because it's her own language so it's this really really weird and I I didn't know that was happening until about halfway through our our dance residency and I was like what was that and it's like oh it's just the sign language I'm inventing for the show and I was like okay go on and then she shared and I just thought my god there's a whole like that's an entire portion of the text manifests physically you know which is so amazing because like I wasn't there for the meetings and end up listening to them over and over and over and over and then wrote this text and then and then it goes back to like Stephanie and then she's reading it over and over you know more than I ever did so 
there, there was just this kind of amazing the, the fear I suppose is whether this comes across to an audience or not yeah, yeah. Um, you know if it makes total sense to to us and if we can see all the resonances um, you know how do you how do you get that through to people who know nothing about it who weren't there from the beginning so so tell me ab about the beginning like did the idea start with you Peter like was it just kind of sitting with a piece of paper like what will I do next what am I interested in like and you look up to space and you think <laughs> ah ding yeah uh, well I guess it's it's all part of a of a long-standing team I've had with concerns that were like it's very hard to talk about these things without sounding like art jargon but oh, please yeah yeah <laughs> but it's about like it, it's about the intersection between art and science is a lot of my work and the and for a long time growing because I, my, I have a degree in biochemistry so I, I, I and I would have trained in music before that and then after that um, and I've all, I would have very much bought into the idea that they were very separate things you know um, and we are taught that they're very separate things and that they're from different aspects of, even down to silly things like they're from different sides of the brain and all this nonsense and so I struggled a lot with bringing science into my work and allowing it to be artistic and so that's been a long-standing conversation I've been having about like I'm really fascinated with scale I'm really and I mean scale is in downward scale and upward scale like the, the way we look at the world and how they mirror mirror you know self self referentiality all those things are very much from what I learned a kind of a fascination with with the under the hood of things you know and then music which has always been my language and, and because it's such a uh, because it's such a language based on forms and structures, you can apply it to multiplicitous concepts, and it fits very well. It, it's a very, it's a very um, familiar coat. It sits on a lot of ideas, and so I found kind of delving into that stuff has has using music to to kind of pursue those thoughts has worked quite well. The difference within clouds is that it was I've been going through a lot of therapy the last four or five years, and I started to confront this sort of delineation I have between my intellectual self and my emotional self which I think a lot of us have and then being blown out with the realising that that idea is actually not only systematic like in terms of masculinity and it's heightened in masculinity but I think it's it's present in, in femininity as well but that actually culturally we've been kind of encouraged to draw that line and that line actually has a, is a far deeper uh, gash than we think I mean it, it cuts through the way we educate ourselves the way we engage uh, societally the way we what we care about what we don't care about how we view things that are, are nebulous we don't really respect them as much as things that we can compartmentalize and and kind of industrialize and so that's where the language came from the piece is based on this idea of going from a clock culture to a cloud culture and seeing the clock as kind of the pinnacle of the the attempt to harness reality you know which is like chopping up time even even being so arrogant as to think we can chop time up and so i i hadn't really thought about that i would have kept those two worlds quite separate and struggled to bring them together in my work and with that sort of revelation personally and emotionally and then sort of on a more i suppose on a more philosophical level afterwards it started making me think about how I make things like this and why do I draw that line and why do we need to and why do audiences need to and what are we nervous of why do we feel uncomfortable when we're in something we don't fully understand I mean we all know what the show is like down to its absolute like the fiber on each piece of clothing but we don't why do we all need to know that before we can enjoy something I'm really intrigued by that and so we tried to create a show where for instance Sarah's written a, a very large 5,000 word text that we won't share with the audience and like that's a strange thing to do because the text is beautiful but we'll share it at another time 
So, you know what I mean? We're, we're going to do an exhibition after the show. The text is probably going to be published. You know, there's ways of engaging with these things that we don't have to just all concern ourselves with it in the moment. And what we're trying to engender then in the work, I hope, is that people fall into it and disappear a little bit more comfortably than trying to have these hook holes of understanding all the time. I don't know will it work, but I'm certainly really up for trying it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, it's kind of the antithesis of, you know, when you go into a theatre production or, you know, even just a film and you're like, okay, let me read the thing. And then I'll yeah. never, it's like reading the blurb on the back of a yeah. book. What's it about? Yeah, yeah. Oh, now I know what it's about. So then you spend the whole thing going, oh, that's what it is there. Yeah. Oh, you know, so it, 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 this show totally breaks down those. And I mean, working on a text that I knew was going to be, never going to be used in that way, you know, that was always going to be broken up um, and and fed into lyrics was really liberating because mm. I didn't have to I didn't have to concern myself with like the perfect music of every sentence in the way that I would have done or I didn't have to, you know, think about editing or, you know, there was a real freedom in it which um, so like your your role in it, like I mean you released A Line Made by Walking last year and then were you kind of like you were talking about maybe getting back into visual art and making something in that respect and then did this kind of come along at the right time you were like well I haven't done anything like this before <laughs> um, well it came about because Peter and I both did talks in the National Sculpture Factory as part of a last it was last year they had a series called Frequency I think frequency. it was the Frequency and, um, and it was a series of lunchtime talks and um, Dobbs David Dobbs O'Brien who's a uh, um, who you know, initiated this thing. His his focus was on artists who work between disciplines, multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, whatever the words are. Transdisciplinary. <laughs> um, so, and we were both, in, neither of us actually saw each other's talk, but it was him who said, when Peter was looking for a writer for this project, um, that I might be someone who was, you know, I suppose able to think outside of the box a bit more in terms of mm -hmm. these things. Um, not that I don't think any writer could do it, but there was also a sense, like, part of my sort of struggle with it was like, you know, how do I, I get this this sort of vast and really interesting and sort of unstoppable text down into something that's, that's um, you know, that not perhaps that anyone can understand. That sounds like it's reducing it too much. Um, but how do I make it into something that has has a story um, or that that makes connections more directly? Or um, so so I, I didn't fully get it and. Uh, I kind of kept, you know, thinking, okay, I can't do this. I'm just going to back out <laughs> because yeah, I didn't did. fully get it. And then my moment of revelation was when, you know, I'd it, make it about not fully getting it, make it about the struggle to understand and the chaos of understanding. And then it became so relevant to everything. Like the, the you talked at one point, or I'm sure it was in the document somewhere about the the crisis in scientific thinking. Yeah. yeah. And how everything can be disproved now. You know, everything we hear. I'm interest from, interested in the literature kind of trend. You know, writers like. Maggie Nelson, Ben Lerner, Teju Cole, you know, who coming from W.G. Sabled and those kind of writers that, that both um, write memoir, but also history and also fiction, and it doesn't quite fall into any of those brackets. Um, and because there's so much information at our disposal now, um, there's an increasing number of texts that, that sort of draw from those and end up with something nebulous. So I wanted to write some kind of a, a text that didn't fit in to any genre easily, but that also riffed on this kind of idea of all of this information and how to assimilate it and this crisis in truth and post-truth and all of those things. And even the idea that like these things, the crisis comes from the fact that we, we spent a, a three or four hundred year period really believing we knew we, we, we could we could achieve some ultimate truth or ultimate answer. I mean if you go back before the kind of Descartian revolution, 
it, like that was part of learning part of learning was disrupting learning was like finding out something was wrong and right and I know obviously the scientific community tends to is quite good at disproving things you know um, but still as a culture we've become I mean in, increasingly more arrogant about the world around us and, and the way in which we engage with them and, and our right to be uh, to be heard in, in, as in the things we say to be seen as truths pure truths you know rather than opinions and that sort of we've lost I think the, that sort of uh, emotional or intellectual flexibility I think we would have had before because and it's come from a kind of um, the achievements that we've we, we've reached, you start to believe your own press as a, as a species, you know. Uh, and anything can be proved, you know. You can fi- you can find yeah. a reason for to back up your any idea at this stage, or like in science, you know. Those flat these earthers are a prime example, you know. You could they literally have arguments to yeah. say it's true. Oh, okay. <laughs> Holocaust deniers, you know. Yeah. So. Th- Sorry, go ahead. ahead. Oh, no, I I was going to kind of move on to the idea of the collaboration because it seems like a really big collaboration project. And, like, obviously you've been involved in that in the past. And was this, like, any different to those? It seems like um, kind of everyone was kind of separate and that you kind of all came along, like, online with those documents and stuff and you were kind of working away and just kind of feeding into the other thing. Like, is that how collaboration is in 2018? It's almost like separate and together online sort of thing it's a good question i mean i think we have uh, we're living in a time where you can be uh, ideologically intimate with each other without being physically intimate you can spend more time with each other's ideas and thoughts and because of these tools we have like having a google drive document that i can just you know puke every idea i have into every day and everyone can check in at their leisure so in a way we we sort of casually occupied each other's space for maybe six months on and off, even though it allowed us to be more flexible in terms of our schedules. I don't know, is that necessary? We also spent a lot of like, time together, you know, I mean, like, like, we know we went away for, I went away for a week in Dublin, I went away for two and a half weeks in Clare with the composer, I went away for a week with the dancer, I came back, we've done another three weeks here. So there is time that's together, you know, and um, it has not happened uh, in, in islands, like, half the music in the show has been found simply by being in proximity to Michael and we've just played together and that's come, it hasn't been, so I mean, half it was composed, maybe a little bit away from each other but so it's actually been both those things and again that was part of the process was trying to find a way to um, to do more than just because a lot of these shows they only have like you have a two or three week rehearsal period because that's all you can afford you can't pay for people to be around any longer and our budget in this is although would be I suppose high for a music a music budget in in the Arts Council is actually terribly low for this type of show and uh, we I guess we ended up kind of um, we ended up kind of trying to find a way to spend more time together uh, uh, without actually having to be physically present while then holding those periods of time and I was very nervous about that because like my role my job as a director is to stop this project from from veering off and you've got seven or eight very strong artists who could just take it any real direction they need you know Uh, whereas quietly and very carefully I had to keep I had to keep steering people back towards the project all the time without really interfering too much but just people would have a bit of a, a kernel panic and I would kind of talk to them and then I would go just do it and just try this and then it would be fine and I'd come off to one I'm like geez thank god that, that, that worked and so a lot of the, there was a lot of that quiet work in the background to keep it on track but I was adamant that I didn't become as much as humanly possible that it didn't become hierarchical because I 
it would be easy for me to say, this is my vision, do this, do this, do this, do Which this. Which is how it would normally work. It I is how it normally works. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's one director and they instruct the others and then the others yeah. kind of... Whereas this really felt <laughs> terrifyingly vague for a long time. Yeah. But also, like, it was an open <laughs> process. Like, everyone was in it from the beginning. And that the show was made out of, out of everyone's contribution. So no one did err off. Or if they did, it became a part of... Of the piece. Yeah, you just kind of you just kind of adapt it. So in terms of that being a modern collaboration, I really hope, genuinely, this is the way that we move forward in making these kind of projects. I, I'm really tired of the downward kind of. I, I get why it works sometimes, but I think truthfully, if you if you can create a solid enough idea at the center of something that has enough gravity or magnetism towards it, and you bring the right and it doesn't work with everyone. You, certain people simply can't do this. They just don't know how or they don't want to. Is another way. But if you get the right people in a room, I think what you end up with is something that is completely and utterly uh, uh, mixed. It's pure. It's very hard to pull apart. Like I, it would be almost impossible to find the threads of how this happened now, really. And that makes the thing a really complete experience. And the whole idea about the show is that fundamentally, I think people are really good at sensing when they can smell bullshit. I think we, we're really good at just going, and we don't know where it comes from, but it's something deep in our psyche where we just lean away from things that we don't trust or we think that the thing is trying to trick us. And I think the only way to create abstract work or abstracted work that is not trying to tell that, like, it's not about a specific political problem or it's not about a guy from a place. Um, the only way to help the audience to to have a subconsciously uh, held experience is to put the rigor in and make sure that it has come from somewhere really truthful and really really hard hard fought for and completely mixed and I, I, I trust then that what's presented just feels connected by the simple fact it is connected like it's it, none of it could have happened without the bit before it and the bit after it you know so and, and just in terms of your um uh, piece that you wrote, the five thousand word kind of essay. I don't know if that's how you how you define it, but like, was it nice? Kind of like the ideas are already there, and you kind of are exploring the ideas that are already like in that document that are there. Like, is it kind of different than how you how you would usually write, as as in like you know staring at a blank page already and waiting for the idea? I don't. I don't think I ever write like that. Any, I've never written anything staring at the blank page. It's always come from somewhere else and sort of accumulated and then finally it goes down on a screen. But it really came, like, the material came from those meetings, from the document, but also from, from the conversations. So I kind of feel like, I feel bad taking the credit for the piece of writing because certain things that came up, like I think it was Sarah Jane who was talking about um, how when our eyes move, at that sort of 45% of the time that we're looking, we're not actually seeing anything because the eye moves too quickly for the brain to process it. So the brain fills in the gaps of what we're seeing based on what it already knows. And this is something that I draw from in the text um, that jumps to something else. Someone um, talked about Gisalt psychology, mm -hmm. and then I, I, which which is easier described as the duck rabbit illusion. You know, when you look at a picture of a duck, or maybe it's a rabbit, depending on what you look at it. Some people see the duck, some people see the rabbit, some people see both. But it, you know, it's this kind of idea of seeing seeing things askew, of other things being there, of perception and comprehension, and um, so all of those like hints were came from you know came from the the team um, in conversation. Someone mentioned Caspar David Friedrich and then I found this lovely anecdote about um, how he's, uh, he was once in the studio and these students came in to see what he was doing and there was this particular um, canvas on, on an, uh, 
what do they call it, on an easel. And it was of sea and sky. And they had this conversation then about whether it was upside down or not, because no one could tell the sea from the sky. And, you know, and then that connects to the Jessalt thing and it connects to the way the eye moves. And so I was kind of drawing various stories from history. And then the other important thing to say is that I was kind of making them up. Some of them are made up, some of them are true. Um, they're all presented as true. And then along with that, there's there's other bits you of know, my own half experiences. You the whole story is story was real. Yeah, well, that's, I was <laughs> so pleased with that. They've telling these facts to their friends. And I was like, we have totally won. This is oh, the best thing. <laughs> there's this whole thing about toes, how toes are like completely useless. How we have toes because we were once apes and we used to like walk around barefoot and climb trees. And um, But the more intelligent the species, the more toes they have. So toes are sort of this symbolic thing that have remained with us. I just made all of that up. <laughs> toes are really important um, but I wanted it to be sort of barely true there's maybe bits at the end so like it's told each um, each short section each phrase has um, begins with uh, a date a, a place and a date in order to make it seem true I suppose mm. to, to trick the reader um, but I mean all that completely and then it came from the concept document very much in that all of the conversations grew from the concepts in the document and everything comes back to this idea of the systems and breaking things down and things that emerge from other things um, so it didn't to be honest I could have written I could still be writing it because there's an endless number of of associations you can just keep making connections and keep making connections um, and every time I go back I was just listening to one of the conversations the seventh one the last one which is probably the richest and again I was like oh I missed that I missed that I had to really force myself to stop at some point um, that's where I think someone said to me it's like you've you know it's it's one show based on an idea that we'll be working on for like five years you know where yeah. you'll just feel really have to try and work your way through it and keep yeah. we, hopefully we'll all come back to each other and try again and see where we are with it you know because it's just kind of run away from not run away from us we're, we've all been carried away quite comfortable it's really interesting you brought up this, the sea or sky the actual opening piece of the show was called seams of sea or sky and the whole idea is uh which way the orientation of the audience it's i, I don't want to give away too much but which way the orientation of the audience are and what they're hearing is it acoustic or electronic and this idea of flipping flipping that back and forth and it's like that again then it wouldn't have come i wouldn't have thought to do that if i hadn't read you spotting what was said you know so it kind of gets to this point where you just we've just we've just kind of created our own inspirational uh, well and that's we're all drinking from it now and it's kind of like and it's yeah, and you've forgotten where it like the first section is called the sound of drowning and that title is drawn from one of my short sections which was about um Albert Durer's rhinoceros do you know the story uh, he, is is this another fake story <laughs> no <laughs> This is true, but like I don't know how true it is because that's the thing about the internet. You read shit on Wikipedia. Yeah, it's yeah. probably not true anyway. <laughs> and always like when I'm when I'm writing, you the best you you find a true story and then you end up like embellishing it or obscuring from it because to that makes the best story. story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, but this is more or less true. Um, Albert Durer had saw this picture. This is way back in like 1500 or 1515 or something, and he saw this picture of a of a rhinoceros. Uh, no, he didn't see a picture. He got had a description of a rhinoceros because they'd never been, you know, they were in Africa and they'd never been to Europe. And he made this famous print based on the description, which was kind of very similar to a real rhinoceros. But there's something kind of wonderful in it because it, it captures that idea of not having seen something, but based on perception, creating mm -hmm. an image. But then the sound of drowning comes from, I looked up what actually happened to the rhinoceros. And the rhinoceros was a gift from some, some sort of Arab sultan to add uh, to the king of spain and so the rhinoceros was shipped to uh 
to port no to Spain to some part of Spain anyway and then later on um, they the king tired of the rhinoceros and put it in a ship to the Pope he was going to give it as a gift to the Pope so it was on a ship to the Vatican and there was like a, this big storm and it drowned <laughs> it, and it perished so that was the sound of drowning just came from that story that I told within the text yeah. about the rhinoceros which I presume is true but may not be um, and then it gave you know and it spawned this and that second piece yeah the second piece so there's the seams of here scurrying the second piece is the sound of drowning and it it, it, it references um the dancer in the show we, we decided was uh, was essentially kind of representing the individual's uh, attempt to understand or be intimate with something with an idea or a thing or a person and so for the whole opening she's she is dancing in a way that um, is, a, is the idea of her drowning in the in the in the show and, and that came again from this idea of her you know being presented as something really beautiful and and I get it totally directly from what you had shared. So it, it is this, like, it, it's it's actually funny. It's even only when we come back together and we hang out a bit as we're going along, do we go, that, that's where that came from. It's like this, you just forget. You just move on and you're like, God, that was a deadly name I had for that piece. And then you're like, oh, no, 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 not at all. That's even when Michael was singing, I was like, oh, that's a familiar phrase. I was like, oh, shit, I wrote that. You wrote all the fucking text. <laughs> even the colour, the colour running through it is red. It's red on the poster. Yeah. I think the costumes are that. red. Yeah, that was from that. That was from, yeah, well, that was from a part of the text that talks about how red was the first colour that was given a name. Um, because, you know, we all have different perceptions, all different cultures and languages have names for certain colors but we don't necessarily perceive the same colors we probably broadly do now but um but red was the first color that every single language this is lying a bit probably but most languages gave a name and it's because red was the first color that pressingly needed to be communicated you know so like someone's bleeding or there's a fire or <laughs> and so you need to run and tell someone else and so it's Right. I know there's a huge piece in the centre of the show where the audience engage with, uh, I can't say too much, but that is called Red, the first colour, Blue, the last colour. And it's all about that journey, to, again, of, of trying to uh, understand the space. But it's, it, it's really cool. I forget all this stuff in a way that we've had such a, a rich connection as we've gone along. Because Sarah's text kind of came in and then it sort of permeated in under everything. And it's just become, we don't really read anything else now. We just go back to the text. And that was kind of something I asked everyone to do is I wanted them to stop referencing things outside of the text at a certain point that we had done all of our conversations about other artists and other and that now this was our sort of bible and that we just had to find it in there and it's been really interesting watching how that's just people are carrying around copies of the text the whole time because <laughs> so i feel very kind of you know i feel bad sort of taking any credit at this stage for the this like magnificent production all of this musical which i don't think i feel like oh what the hell am i in this i did it you know what i mean well it's amazing to see how something that i did alone at my desk you know has has infused and sort of spread um, so much because you know I'm in no way physically present in the piece and there's 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 so much work going into it now um, that, that I have nothing to do with. But I mean, like a, a scriptwriter is not anything to do with you know. I mean, if it was to be a normal script, they wouldn't be most of the time. They're not at the production itself, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and it's most of the I have music that's out there working away on its own that I have nothing to do with. It is a weird, but I understand it being certainly a weird thing. It is very strange to come into a room and see anything you've created being taken on by others like I'm writing music for junk ensemble at the moment and it's so weird to watch your music being used by other people and what they see in it and what they hear in it but it's and it's probably it's the magic of why we do, well I can't speak for you but it's the magic of what, why what I do what I do is that 
bizarre sort of uh, the, the lack of uh, the removal of boundaries that happens when you work in, in this type of work where you, you get to uh, see things that you made completely not expecting them to have that causality and then suddenly going wow what what did you do with it <laughs> like yeah, um, it's, it's, that's been you know just I think all writers should try and do more outside because it then feeds back into how you work and how you're how your ideas work to see something embodied like I'll never see anyone read I'll never sit there and watch someone read my book you know yeah yeah <laughs> so to have these kind of reactions yeah, is, go is, on is <laughs> next page um, just finally I guess uh, like it's kind of for the Triscoll's 40th birthday and like a week out from the show premiering like you're kind of using all of the different rooms you guys are in the TDC doing stuff you heard people in the church doing stuff I think there's dancers upstairs as well and stuff is it nice to know that it's all coming together like in this week that oh actually that idea that seemed like ludicrously difficult six months ago is actually like a week away from starting and like what's the biggest challenge now in the last few days I guess the biggest challenge is I mean if I'm honest removing all of the the lovely conversation the hardest part is managing budgets and managing people's time managing schedules that's the stuff that really starts to grind now you know um, because it's very difficult to um you have to be very careful with people that they feel like they're being looked after and you know there's a lot goes into making all this seem quite seamless so uh, I don't really know any other way to put it and that that's really that part that, that worries you the 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 other side of it though is it's about trying to create something that you you're sharing you there's no frame of reference I guess for this type of work I, I have no way of knowing if it's if it, how it will be taken up I don't think there's a particularly strong culture of music theatre in Ireland and that's not musical theatre but music theatre which means that I think a lot of people go to it and get in the same way that dance was disrespected for so long and um, where people were annoyed by the fact they didn't quite understand what was happening I do think music theatre is now coming into a period where it's going to suffer the same problems I've seen a lot of reviewers kind of come in and just kind of because of their, the simple lack of like what would be a very straightforward line through it, they tend to lean away from it and kind of think that it's not about anything or you know. So I worry about that stuff. I worry that I worry for and not just for my own ego, but for everyone that's contributed. That it's I hope I, I hope that it's when it's presented, people feel not necessarily know, but feel that it it is a rich and full and rigorous and beautiful thing we worked very very hard on that's all I can hope for you know and that that it's given the chance to be uh, experienced because it, I, I, I know a lot of people have had bad relationships with the sort of the over academicization how do you say that word I can't even say it where it's some workers have become too academic and it tends to push away audiences and the whole premise of making this kind of stuff for me is to bring in audiences back into this stuff it doesn't all you all it has to be is felt felt first understood second you know and that's all I can so I'm, that's what I'm nervous about I'm not nervous about the music sounding good or anything like that because I think the musicians are brilliant but like I am just that's I just hope people come out and go I'm not sure what happened but god damn it felt great like you know <laughs> well I'm excited